Welcome back to the Final Whistle Podcast. Ben Kane, Marvin Regueta, and helping us analyze Barcelona's season is Barcelona correspondent and host of the Sempre Positivo podcast, Sam Margin. Sam, welcome to the Final Whistle Podcast. How are you? Hello, guys. I'm very good, thank you. Very busy with the Women's Champions League final on Saturday. We're recording on Friday ahead of that game. So, yeah, it's been a busy week, but a fun week. Absolutely. There's so much to talk about with Barcelona. And I first want to begin talking about Sam, how would you describe Barcelona's overall season? Good question. Depends where you're coming at it from, really. I mean, overall, the season is a disappointment. You know, they've they finished second a long way behind Real Madrid. They were never really in the, in the title race. They've been knocked out of the Champions League in the group stages. They fell in the Europa League at the quarterfinals. They didn't win the Spanish Supercopa. They got knocked out of the Copa del Rey quite early by athletic clubs. So... On that level, it's been a disastrous season, really, by Barcelona's standards. You know, a second trophyless season in three years. There's no paper over the cracks. It's really, really disappointing. Um, but on the on the second level, the way they finished the season, or the way things have turned around slightly under under Javi, and I mean, if you analyse Barca's league form under Javi, you know, especially their away performances, the fact they've climbed from ninth to second. I mean, if we go back to November, December when he was appointed, it was a genuine debate in the, in the media here and worldwide. You know, could Barca miss out on on the top four, could they not be in the Champions League next season? And in the end, it was never really in doubt. They climbed into the top four quite quickly with a really good run around January, February. They, yeah, they kicked on. They, they finished second. So that was represents a huge improvement under Javi. I think the league table, since Javi took charge, I think it's 25 games. Real Madrid, I think, had two points more than, than Barca. So during that time, you know, it would be, you know, a real genuine title race between those two teams. But still, you know, it's still disappointing that under Javi was the Supercopa defeat, even though they, they did well against Madrid, the, the Copa del Rey elimination, the Europa League elimination, just a little bit of a flat end to the season. But, you know, that could be down to a number of things. Mental fatigue, I think, has played a big part. Also physical fatigue, injury set in again a little bit. So so the season finishes with reasons for encouragement ahead of next season, even if, you know, by Barca standards, it's really, really disappointing. So you talk a little bit about uh, the time under Xavi, but before that, obviously, Ronald Koeman was there. From an outsider looking in, we can only kind of speculate it, but what, what did you see about the culture under Koeman? And then how, if any, did it shift under Xavi to get the club where it is now with these high expectations for next year? Yeah, I mean, things completely change from one coach to the next. That's normal. Each coach has different ideas. And when one coach leaves, we always hear that, you know, this was wrong or that was wrong. But there are also good things. A lot of coaches do a lot of things the same. It's not like under any coach at this level, players are just not doing any physical work or whatnot, as some people would perhaps suggest. I think the most important thing with the change from Kuman to Javi beyond, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the other stuff afterwards, but beyond anything was just the fact that it sort of cleared the air around the club. You know, those last, that last month, those last sort of six weeks under Ronald Kuman was really quite sort of vicious, I guess, you know, in the media, you know, with reports about, you know, will he, won't he, these different things. He had that, that famous press conference before that Atletico Madrid game when he, when he obviously came out and it was almost as if he was going to be, going to be sacked as if he knew he was going to be sacked and he sort of quoted Louis van Harlins and my friends in the media and, and all that as if it was a farewell speech when it didn't prove to be in the end but was obviously the beginning of the end so just that whole sort of it was, it was just the atmosphere you know players happen to answer all the time are you with Kuman? do you support Kuman? it wasn't good for the club it wasn't good for the players so I think the most important shift from from Kuman to Javi was you know that that change of air you know there was a little bit of not less pressure, the pressure remains the same, but a little bit more goodwill once Javi came in. And then later, Javi's obviously got different tactical ideas. Kuman, perhaps, and even though his ideas perhaps weren't as far away from, you know, the Barca philosophy as some would have you to believe, it is true that you know, throughout his coaching career, he has been more pragmatic than perhaps, you know, 
someone like Javi has proven so far or Guardiola has been in his career where they're, they're more, more committed to a style and play in a certain, certain type of way. So Javi's changed things in that sense. He's changed things, you know, with the, in, with the injury prevention team, with, with bringing certain doctors back, um, certain physios back. He's changed things in terms of the way they train. Just a little bit more laid back and fun at the start before going to things, just to relax the players a little bit. Um, and players, players are also responsible as well. They always sort of lift themselves when a new coach comes in. And it obviously helps that, you know, everyone knows Javi's been, I mean, I say made for this job. I guess we'll find out in terms of success if he actually is made for this job, but he's been a shoe in in terms of at some point, not if, but when he, he comes back, he was going to be Barca coach just because he is as a player, perhaps more than any other Barca player. I mean, maybe you can have debates about others, but I, I think in terms of the Barca style and the, the symbology and the philosophy, very few represent Barca more than more than Javi. Um, and yeah, and then beyond that, in terms of the dedication to detail, working with the players, a lot of positional work with players like Frankie de Jong, Serginia Des, players that perhaps aren't so familiar with the, the, the positional way Barca play that he's done on the sort of one-on-one analyst video sessions and, and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, we could talk for hours about the changes that we make, but without meaning to sort of discredit Ronald Koeman, mm-hmm. because it's also, it's normal that manager comes in and does completely things yeah. his own way. Sam, I want to go back to last summer, when Barcelona made the decision to move on from Lille Messi. Was that the right decision in your eyes? Do you believe the club made the right decision for moving on from him? It's, I guess you have to analyze, you can analyze it on two levels. I mean, the first level was, was financially and the second level is in terms of the, right. the sporting project. Um, and, I, and on both levels, there are two ways of looking at it. And I guess in terms of the sporting level, there's the fact that, you know, did you want to keep Messi and build a team around him at that stage of his career? And right. I, I would have said at the time, I would have said, no, you do not, <laughs> you do everything you can to keep Lionel Messi. Um, and I still think they should have, well, it obviously it wasn't a case, case of should they or, or not. It came down to cash and the league of rules and stuff. And it got to the situation where they just, they just couldn't do it or they felt that they couldn't do it with the CBC deal and whatnot. Um, I would have obviously kept Messi. I mean, with Javi, it would have been interesting to see how he would fit into the team. I mean, People that perhaps wouldn't have done, I mean, their argument is perhaps, I mean, he's been good at Paris Saint-Germain, but obviously he hasn't had the numbers that he's had at Barcelona for whatever reason, whether he's not fully sort of bought into the project, whether he's still adapting, whether, you know, new teammates and whatnot, a new league, new culture. Um, but it strengthens the idea that, you know, perhaps Barca were right to get rid of him because, you know, he's right. 34, he's going to be 35 this summer. Maybe it was the time to make a clean break. Um, and it had to happen sooner or later. Um, but no, for me, I would have, would have kept him. And then there's obviously the financial position, what it would have meant for the club. Right. And as we see with the finances since um, and the wages Messi was on, even on 50% of his salary, he still would have been, you know, taking up a huge bulk of the the salary, the sort of the salary cap. So it's hard to know without the real numbers. And we get, I mean, we have the full number, the, the numbers when they come out in the financial accounts, yeah. but in terms of what the club tell us and how much he was a weight on their finances or not, um, it's difficult to know. The club obviously took the decision that they took for, for a reason, they felt it was safer for the club's financial history. Um, but yes, I just think it's sad. For me, it's more than anything else, it's sad to see him finish his career. I mean, obviously, he'll probably have another spell in MLS in, you know, next, not this year, yeah, next. Absolutely. But, <laughs> yeah. that, that, but that, that move doesn't happen from Barcelona to MLS that we see him playing for, for PSG. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. It's quite, quite sad, I think, for me and yeah. for him as well. Yeah, so one of the, I mean, one of the players that left was obviously Messi, but one of the players that came in and you kind of talked a little bit about it was Danny Alves. When that move's happening, what are you thinking about that? Because obviously Danny is a very old player who hasn't gotten too many minutes in Brazil, but comes back in and makes an instant impact on the squad. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the, the offer for Danny Alves to come back from the club was on the table from Danny for a while. I guess at first, more sort of tongue-in-cheek, like, I'll come back if you want me. Um, under Koeman, that was never really an option. And then sort of at this moment that Danny Alves was free, was back in Europe, was trying to find a club back in Europe to, to play regular football ahead of the World Cup later this year. Javi comes in and it's put to Javi and Javi's like, maybe I could do something with this guy. Maybe, you know, his character around the squad. Javi was, wasn't originally convinced on Serginho Dest. I mean, he's happy to keep him around now. By the time he thought, you know, maybe we could do with, with Alves. I think Sergio Roberto was injured, Barca a bit short right back. But more than anything, he thought... Um, you know, the, this guy just around the group. I mean, like I said, the, the perhaps the worst thing about that Koeman era at the end was the negativity around the club. And Danny Alves coming into the changing room with his character, with his personality was, you know, a big boost for the young players. And obviously in terms of, you know, all his experience. I mean, there are players with, with that experience at the club, obviously, you know, Alba, PK Busquets, but they're very different characters to, to Alves. Alves has some very special qualities in terms of uniting a dressing room, in terms of uniting different nationalities, different age groups because none of that really, really matters to him. So he's a special guy to have around the, the changing room. In terms of performances, I think he started really well as well. Um, Atletico Madrid game was brilliant when he played it right, right back and stepped into midfield. I think he's dropped off a little, not maybe dropped off, but maybe we've seen the limitations that he has with his age in these last sort of two months, perhaps. But I think that's also a symptom of having to play every week. You know, Serginho yeah. Dest had injuries and perhaps Alves has had to play more than expected. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's clear that as a, as a right back, he's not able to, you know, compete against the best left wingers in the world. You know, you wouldn't want him playing against Vinicius's every week. But in terms of what he's done, in terms of how he's helped the team, in terms of the importance he's had in training on a day-to-day basis, it's been been a been a successful sign, I would say, especially considering that he was willing to come back for on such a small salary. Sam, today is May 20th. And obviously all rumors have been talked about Kylian Mbappe's future in PSG or will he join Real Madrid? But if Mbappe joins Real Madrid. How would that affect Barcelona's summer plans to try to improve the squad? I don't think what Mbappe does now really affects Barcelona in terms of their plans. I mean, it could have a knock-on effect in terms of if Mbappe leaves, perhaps PSG goes stronger for Usman Dembele or perhaps PSG make a late move for Lewandowski or, or something like that. So it could affect Barca in that sense. But in terms of a planning sense, Barca just have to do their own their own planning, their own preparations for next season. They don't they can't plan based on one player, let alone one club. They have to plan for, you know, to have a competitive squad that compete in the Liga and and the Champions League. So I don't think the the signing of Mbappe influences Barca's thinking beyond the knock-on effect it could have in the in the transfer market. So I mean one of the things we see from this as well is that Barcelona is kind of building this younger, more sleek team. Should they be focusing on the older big time players in the transfer market or should they try to go out and find those younger guys like a Demir who was there at the beginning of the season? I think what Barca needs right now more than anything is not young players like Demir or um, older experienced players. And um, in general, I would say not to sign older experienced players. I mean, I'd possibly make an exception for for Lewandowski because of you know his his record over the last few <laughs> years and the needs that Barca have for have that focal point, um, I would perhaps be willing to sort of rip up the the rule book for that. But what Barca actually need is players that are in the peak years of their career. If you look at their team at many times this season, they've had guys that are you know seventeen, Gavi, Pedri nineteen, Ansu Fati nineteen, Nico twenty, you know Araujo is he twenty two now, Eric Garcia twenty one. Guys at the start of their career are making up sort of half the team. And then at the other end, they have guys at the other end of their career. You know, Danny Alves has just turned 39. Pique is 35 now. Busquets and Alba both 33. 
Um, Aubameyang, who's come in, is obviously in his 30s as well. So what they need is players that are, you know, mid-20s, late-20s, players that are in the, the peak of their career. If you go through the squad, I mean, in terms of players that actually play, you've got Frankie de Jong and Dembele, who are both both 25 now, both at a good age. Um, and beyond that, in terms of starters, there aren't really anyone in those in those peak years. You're looking at young players and old players. Um, you've got Lengler, who's perhaps a good age, but not part of Javi's long-term plans. You've got Memphis Depay again, who's had some good spells and is a good age, but we don't know what the future holds for him. So I think what Barca really need is to sign, you know, players that have top-level experience, but are still hungry and that are not sort of at the, the wrong end of their career. So with all those uh, qualifications, who would be a, like, if you could sign one player for Barcelona with all that, who would it be? Oof, good question. Um, obviously, they, they have got two players coming in who sort of fit that age bracket in terms of Andreas Christensen and and Frank Kessie, defender and midfielder from Chelsea and Milan. But uh, if they could sign anyone within that bracket, oh, um, I don't know. I guess they're quite well covered in midfield. I guess it would be sort of maybe a, maybe even though they've got so many defenders, maybe you'd be looking at a centre back or a full back, a right back. Um, I can't think now that I've put that that age bracket in in my head. Um, well, let me let me have a think, and maybe I'll come back to you at the end of the show. Right. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no I'm so influenced by who they're already signing and they're targeting yeah. stuff. I can't think of what I'd do. Because they've been so tied, I can't think yeah. by who I would sign if they did just have free reign of the market. <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, obviously the news has been talked about of Lewandowski and rumored to Barcelona, Sam. I mean, based on information that you know, what is the percentage of Lewandowski actually joining Barcelona in the summer? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's quite clear now. I don't think we need to know what we know and what reporters know. I mean, Lewandowski has played his part in terms of coming out and saying, look, I'm not going to renew my deal with Bayern. And I would, you know, like you to listen to any offers that may come in. So that's his part done, which is a large part of the... The problem, um, and then obviously, you know, Barca's interest isn't official, I guess, in terms of, you know, no one's actually commented that they want, but I think it's fairly obvious that if Lewandowski is leaving Bayern Munich, it's going to be, you know, for another, you know, Champions League club who are on Bayern Munich's level, who are, you know, perhaps in a league where it's obviously different to, to England. And there aren't many clubs looking for a striker other than, than Barcelona. Now, obviously, Real Madrid have just, well, well, are hoping to sign Mbappe, but also have Benzema, who's the same age as Lewandowski. It's not an option for him. So Barcelona is the option in Spain. In England, you've got City have just signed Haaland. It's not the sort of sign in Liverpool would make. Perhaps Chelsea could emerge, but they've got Lukaku problem at the moment. Uh, Manchester United may like him, but, you know, they're going to be perhaps playing Europa League, Europa Conference League. So it seems fairly obvious that, Barca is his, is his primary option. So then the, the problem becomes Bayern finding a replacement and Bayern negotiating a fee. And then the next problem is Barca fixing their finances to be able to, to fund this deal in terms of salary and, and amortization of the, of the fee. Um, so it's more sort of logistical problems rather than sort of, you know, will it or when it happens. So if, if all those things fall into place, you know, there's, there's a high chance that it does happen. Of those things falling into place, I think, I think it's quite high. I mean, Bayern are pursuing a hard line at the moment in terms of saying, you know, we'd like him to say and see how his contract. But Bayern are also a club that do things um, sensibly in terms of even if they don't want to lose Lewandowski, even if they would rather have him for a final year, they're not stupid and they know it's better to perhaps cash in now um, to take the money that they can get now rather than to have an unhappy player on their hands. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's probably about... Oof, I don't know, because sometimes you say these things, the next thing you know, the <laughs> aggregator accounts on Twitter are saying, Samuel Marsden <laughs> says this is a whatever done deal. So I'll just say, you know, more than 50% in okay. chances of it happening at the moment. 
So one of the we're talking about a lot of the big time players, but one of the smaller players that we love oh, on this no, podcast is Ricky Puig. So in your in obviously he's been in and out of the squad for Barcelona very recently. So what does the future hold for Ricky? <laughs> Ricky Puig has to leave, doesn't he? Has to go out and play some minutes somewhere because it's quite Damn clear. Favorite. <laughs> quite clear. I mean, people thought or hoped that maybe under under Javi things would change, but we've seen things are very well, exactly the same, if not worse, under Javi. I think he played until recently, obviously, with these injuries in midfield, and he's got a chance these last couple of games when things haven't mattered so much. Um, but in general, his minutes per game was probably more under Kuman this season than under under Javi. And look, when we watched him for the B team and some of those games for the first team under Kiki Seti, and we saw a player that was, you know very attuned with the Barca style that had some good qualities, but there's obviously a reason why under so many coaches he's, he's not played. We obviously don't see training every day. We don't see his, his, how he's performing in training. I'm sure he's working hard and stuff, but there are obviously limitations that he has, whether it's physical, whether it's in terms of defending work rate, whether it's to do with, you know, switching off in the final third, occasionally there, there, there are reasons why so many, so many coaches have not picked him. I'm sure Javi would have loved to have picked him, would love to have come in and had this, you know, amazing midfielder, but if, if the quality is not quite there and he's preferring Gavi, Pedri, Frankie de Jong, Nico ahead of, ahead of Ricky Pudge is obviously a reason. And I think that's perhaps helped clear Ricky's mind in terms of obviously in the past, he's thought, you know, it's a personal vendetta from Kuman. We've seen that's not the case, obviously, you know, in the previous coaches as well, he didn't get loads of minutes, but to, to see it under Javi, a coach who he's not, who he's not likely to outlast. I think with Kuman, there was always the thought that Kuman was, you know, here for a year or two and then he'd be gone and then a new coach would come in. But now Javi is here in theory. For the long run, I think Ricky's going to have to have a long, hard think this summer and perhaps, you know, decide that, you know, he's not as young as perhaps he looked. He still looks like a baby, but I think he's at least 22, perhaps even 23 nearly now. Um, and it's time for him to get some minutes under his belt in the, in the first division. I do, I do want to say Ben is a big fan of Ricky Pooch. I know there's a lot of fans around the States. I love him, so I just want to say that on the record. Uh, he's like a cult player. Everyone loves him. For no, I don't know why. I don't know why. A lot of fans that like loves him here in the States love him. <laughs> but I want to move on to talk about the Premier League. I know I hear your podcast lately, and you, you t- we have to talk about Burnley. We've got to bring it up. They're in the relegation battle the final week. Uh, of the Premier League season, how what's the chances you think Burnley will survive and stay in the Premier League? Don't ask me that. I'm not making any predictions. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, any, I mean, I, I mean, well, how are you face. feeling? I feel all right. You know, it's, it's a bit different when you live from a distance. Um, you know, to when you go into the games every week. I was speaking to my dad, and he was nervous all day yesterday before the Aston Villa game. Um, it's obviously in our own hands with that point that we got against Aston Villa. We just need to match Leeds' result this weekend against Newcastle. I mean, there are so many sort of narratives surrounding both these games. I mean, the hope that Brentford will beat Leeds and our game is irrelevant. And obviously there's this whole beef between Leeds and the, the Brentford manager, Thomas Frank, which is fantastic. These videos of Leeds players singing songs about Thomas Frank when they got promoted in 2020, which hopefully hopefully Frank will pin up in the some sort of digital pin up in the dressing room of these videos <laughs> of these Leeds players. And he's like, we go out and we relegate these boys. And then we can all share that meme of Michael Jordan with Frank's head saying, and that's when I, that's when I took it personally. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's in our hands with favourites. I can understand that we're favourites. I was speaking with, obviously, Tony on the podcast, and he was going on about this relegation battle as well. And <laughs> he obviously was looking at the bets, and I think it's like, you know, I think it's like a 30% chance of Burnley going down and a 70% chance of Leeds. I mean, I guess we've got home advantage on the last day, which is nice. Um, and we also just have to match their result, whereas they obviously have to better our result because of our goal difference. 
so yeah, I can understand that we're the favourites. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't like to predict or chance anything or or predict anything. I'm, I'm hoping that Kieran Trippier at Newcastle wouldn't be so. He lo- he loves the club. He's you know he's a Burnley, he's not a Burnley fan, but you know the the years that he spent at the club really were, were really big, and there's a real big connection between him and the club. So I can't imagine him bringing coming with Newcastle and, and relegating us. Hopefully, Trips will have a word. I mean, so climbing up the table, who do you think? Really quick, Premier League title prediction. Who do you think is going to win it? I think I think Aston Villa. I think Manchester City will beat Aston Villa, and I think they'll um, they'll win the title. So it's, yeah, they've got that point advantage, haven't they? And I think at home to Aston Villa. I mean, big stranger things have happened, and obviously they've got injuries. And West Ham got a draw against them last weekend. Um, and it, there's also that narrative in that game, isn't it? Steven Gerrard going to to City to win his first Liverpool title would be kind of quite sort of a nice headline and nice funny if that was how Gerrard won <laughs> his first Liverpool title. Um, but I just think City will have too much for for Villa. There's also that narrative that if I think City win, they get uh, Villa gets 15 million from Jack Grealish as well. So there's two disputing sides here. So hopefully, I'm, I'm a City fan, so hopefully they win. But um, any any uh, top four predictions as well? Do you think? Spurs, Arsenal, someone's going to creep. All right, one of them is going to creep into that top fourth spot. Yeah, I think I think Spurs. Spurs have got it now. I think we saw when you saw the Arsenal players and the reaction to that defeat at Newcastle on Monday. I think they knew that uh, Tottenham would wrap it up, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Everton go and beat Arsenal now. Arsenal just seemed so dejected after that game, um, and yeah, you back back Tottenham to beat to beat Norwich away from home. Norwich, uh, I don't know if, when Norwich last won a game. Sometimes you expect clubs, they go on a little bit of a bounce after they get relegated just because they play with that freedom and they've got nothing to lose anymore. There's no pressure because they're already relegated. But we've not really seen that with Norwich. Maybe we'll see it in their last home game. But, you know, Tottenham have got players in good form. And, you know, Sun, we'll see, we'll see if Harry Kane recovers from this bug. But, yeah, I think Tottenham, Tottenham top four. Um, yeah. Before Marvin oh, signs it off, oh, go ahead. really quick, yeah. final, did you think of a player that you would sign for Barcelona? Well, I mean, if you could sign any player, I guess it would be Mbappe. I wouldn't sign Lewandowski and I'd <laughs> sign Mbappe. There we go. Thank you. All right, Kylian Mbappe, according to Sam Arjun, will be the ideal player to sign for Barcelona. Sam, thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're, you're busy, have so much going on, covering the women's game and also Barcelona's final game. So we appreciate your time. No worries. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.